So often we live in a world where we believe that you can't have something in the midst of nothing. See, when you have nothing, you have nothing, right? You're either going to have something or you're going to have nothing. What if I told you today that I think when you have nothing is actually when you have something? That it's in your nothingness that God desires to do something impossible, something miraculous. In order to understand what Mark is trying to do here in the feeding of the 5,000, you have to kind of look at this story in context. So at the very beginning of the story of the 5,000, he talks about right, how the apostles had returned. Well, well where were they? So, so whenever you see something like that, I often have to go back a little bit to see, well, what were they doing? So I just look even at the beginning of the sixth chapter of which this story is found, and I try and understand what's happening in the midst of this story. At the beginning of the sixth chapter, Jesus goes home. He goes home to Nazareth, and he, you know, there's just something about going home, you know. I don't know if Mary was really good at making peanut butter and jelly or what it was, but there's something about going home and just feeling comfort and feeling rest. And you ever go to like your home church? Or maybe, you know, church maybe you went to as a kid and the people there hadn't seen you in a while. Or maybe this is your home church, but this obviously isn't my home church. So if I went to the church I grew up in, uh, I'd go there and people would say, you know, they'd greet me warmly. They'd ask how I was doing. You know, they'd give me special attention and care and they'd just surround me. Oh, it's so good to see you. You know, you ever kind of get that vibe if you go back to your home church? And so Jesus goes to his home church, but he doesn't get that vibe. In fact, it kind of gets the opposite. They're like, who's this guy? What's he doing talking to us? Now, some people were amazed, but they were kind of amazed like, we know his sisters, we know his brothers, he's a carpenter's boy. What's he talking to us about? And that's when he talks about a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. He goes home and he's rejected. Look at what Mark is talking about, what's happening there. He says, Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. (laughs) <laughs> there's a part of me, there's a part of me that's like, um, Mark, last time I checked, uh, I think, you know, healing people is miraculous. So what's he, do? but he's saying something here. And look at what Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. In some way, Mark is trying to, I think, set the scene for us that something's not clicking right. Now, it's, I don't think he's trying to say anything about Jesus's power or about his strength or his divinity or anything like that. But there's something that is a disconnect here. And it's, I don't think it's in Jesus. I think it's with us. It's with the people. And there's some way to where, you know, I always talk about, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm always praying, you know, we want to acknowledge our need for grace. Why do I keep saying that, uh, you know, in my pastoral prayer time? It's because I want to keep reminding myself and reminding us as God's people to say, we have to be able to say, God, I need you. I need your help and I need, I need your grace. We have to acknowledge our weaknesses for it's in our weakness that God's strength is perfected in us. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with Jesus in this moment, but there's something that's disconnecting with the people. I wonder how Jesus is feeling. I mean, he's amazed. Or another translation would say he's appalled. He's, a, he's just like, whoa, where's your faith? Mark's saying... Something's not working right. So after this, he sends his disciples out. He sends them out by two. 
And let's just kind of take a look at this again. He says, these were his instructions. He says, okay, guys, go ahead out. You're going to go do some ministry. Take nothing for the journey. Take nothing. Okay, well, okay, you can take a staff. Everybody needs a good walking stick. You know, you're going to go out, take a good staff. But listen, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. You, you can wear sandals, right? You make sure you wear your sandals, obviously, but not an extra shirt. He's sending them out with nothing. Let's keep going. Now, look, when you enter a house, you can stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or lis listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Shake it off. That's where Taylor Swift got this from, by the way. <laughs> so he's sending out his disciples with nothing you know they've got to you know they, they got to have a walking stick in their shoes but he says you're gonna have to rely upon the hospitality of strangers now think about what he just went through he went home what kind of hospitality did he receive there and luke's version would say they tried to throw him off a cliff in nazareth mark is just like hey, it didn't work it just didn't work there so He's saying, I want you to go out, and he knows he's sending his friends, his disciples, out into a world that will accept or will not accept their message. And he says, I want you to go with nothing. Don't take anything extra, because I don't want you to depend upon the money in your belt or the extra loaf of bread that you would have brought with you. I want you to go with nothing. And then he sends them away. And then Mark takes this little detour. And again, Mark is not about the details. Mark is about, he healed people, then he went here, and he taught here, and then he went there. He spends the rest of leading up into the feeding of the 5,000 story going into great detail about how John the Baptist dies. Do you remember John the Baptist? Now, think about Jesus' relationship with John the Baptist. You know, they kind of like grew up together. I mean, you can't read the Christmas story without having John the Baptist involved with Elizabeth and Mary or even not, not that part. Let's just get to Jesus' public ministry. And John baptized him. You know, they're kind of like cousins in the weird like first century version of that, right? They're, they're kin, they're friends, they're close. Jesus' ministry... His first words of public ministry recorded in the Gospels are the very same words of John the Baptist. He takes up this mantle when John says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, that's a pretty good word. I'll just continue with that. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And Mark is saying in great weird detail about how John dies. And then here's what happens right before this story. It's basically John's disciples come, they take his body, and they place him in a tomb. John's done. So then, Mark says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him. They came back. Hey, check this out. This is where it went well. This is where it didn't go well. And Jesus says, hold on. Let's take a moment and let's just, let's just go and debrief all this. Let's have a moment of rest. Did you remember you catch that? So they get into a boat. Now, it was starting to get so, so busy, right? Even, you know, 
they come back, so many people were starting to come and go that the disciples themselves didn't get a chance to eat. You catch that in Mark's story? So busy, they don't even have time for sandwich. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on, we're going too fast, we're going too hard here, let's go and have a moment away. So they're like, oh yeah, this is great. So they go and they get a boat, and then for some reason people see that, and do you see what happens next? They go on foot to get to the place where Jesus and his disciples are going to land, they beat him to the spot where he wanted to go and have a little bit of a break with his friends. And they're there on the shore, and the boat kind of pulls up, and they're like, hi, 5,000 of us here. What, I mean, think of what's, and then, right, we're gonna, you're going to get into the story of the feeding of, of the 5,000, right? You, you've heard me talk about it last week. You're going to hear me talking about it again next week. But I don't want to move past this powerful thing that I think Mark is doing. That, look, we feel like in order to be involved in the kingdom of God or to do the things of Jesus in our world today, that we've bought into this lie that we've got to bring something with us. That we have to have something in order to offer to the world. But it's the opposite. It's, it's, in fact, it's the very opposite. It's in our nothingness that God specializes in the something or in the impossible, in the miraculous. It's in our nothingness. Right? What is happening here? Think about Mark is leading up to the biggest crowd, right? Probably, you know, the miracles of Jesus were, were pretty cool. But this is the largest crowd that the disciples have seen yet. And... They go into it absolutely with nothing. Jesus is rejected. He sends his disciples away in fear that they might be too. And then his longest, if not closest friend, dies in a very brutal way. Then the disciples come back. And they're doing all their ministry stuff again, and they don't even have time to eat. They're, they're going into the feeding of the 5,000 on an empty stomach. They've got nothing. But it's in our nothing where something comes, where the miraculous has a place to give birth, where that's where God specializes the most. It's in our nothingness. We have to let go of everything that we've ever been taught about what we feel like we bring to this table, what we have brought along with us on this journey. Oh, Jesus, I've got all these things that I've brought to you that you can now use for your kingdom purpose. He says, you actually need nothing. And we find in our lives the stripping away of all that we've brought with us, right? This is what, Lord, you can use this. No, I want to use your nothingness. I'm really good at this. No, I want to use your pain and your brokenness. Think about where Jesus is ministering to. Could we say that he's ministering from a place of nothingness? Because it's in nothing that something happens. Paul, in Philippians 2, in his beautiful poem, talked about Jesus letting go or emptying himself into a nothingness. He talks about Jesus who was God, right? <laughs> you know, he's God, by the way, right? Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Another translation would say something to be grasped. I, I, like, 
I like that because, you know, I, I hold on to stuff, right? You know, I may not be thinking I'm using these things to my own advantage, but there's just some things that I'm grasping and I don't want to let go of because it's mine. And this is what Jesus says. He didn't use his godness. He didn't grasp for it. He didn't use it for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And then who was, he had this obedience. Uh, can we go to the next slide? Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, right? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The hymn writer Charles Wesley would say that he emptied himself of all but love. So, so many times when we think about what Jesus does in the miraculous, it's, you know, because he's God and he's awesome and he's got all these things. This is the story where, as best as we can understand, Jesus is hurting. Jesus is functioning from a place of, of real nothingness, rejected in his home, the loss of a friend. And yet he sees people. He looks in the crowd and he sees them with the very eyes of God. <laughs> I mean, when we're mourning, when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we're hungry, I mean, let's not even just think about, you know, sometimes we get angry when we're hungry. He just lost somebody. He's hurting in this moment. And how does he look upon the crowds? Does he see him as a burden? <laughs> that's, how, that's how we would see him. Oh, no. Here's more people that are going to take my time, take my energy, and I, I want to break. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And really, what is a sheep without a shepherd? What do they have? They have nothing. Who's going to lead them into the green grass that the Lord, our great shepherd, makes us to lie down in? Who's going to protect them with the rod and the staff? Who's going to give them comfort? He looks in a very different way when we have nothing. That's the place where Jesus wants to work in us where in fact something happens, right? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we think of it, you know, no, I have to be rich in spirit, right? I have to have things. I have to bring something to the table. I have to be full in order to inherit this kingdom, for this kingdom to be mine. And Jesus says, you need to let go of everything. Even spirit, you must have a poverty of spirit to understand this thing called the kingdom of, of God. What do you need to let go of? What have you been grasping for? Or what have you been trying to use to your own advantage? Take a lesson from Jesus, who was God, and said that really life is found when you let go. It's really something can happen. Not because you have something, but in fact because you have nothing. How does it make you feel to say, really, at the end of the day, what do we have? Can you celebrate your nothingness? Your weariness, your tiredness, your hunger, your poverty of spirit. Can you celebrate the fact that you might be empty today? Look, emptiness is not fun. I know that. But it's still something to acknowledge in joy. Why? Because emptiness is fun? No. It's because it's an opportunity for God's spirit to fill. 
I wonder if there's places of my heart or places of my life that God hasn't been able to penetrate because I've been holding on or I've been grasping, I've been clenching, I've created a hardness in my heart that says you can't go there. That's what I bring to the table. This is my life and I'm not letting go of it yet. That's why Jesus says, in order for the impossible, in order for the miraculous, the 5,000 are fed with very little. Five loaves and two fish. What's that in comparison to a crowd that size? It's nothing really. What have you brought into your hands today? What have you come to God's throne with? Feel like we got a whole lot of something? Or have you come with nothing? The good news is that nothing doesn't equal nothing in God's eyes. Nothing actually equals something. And that's when the impossible happens. That's when the miracles come. Not with the something, but in fact with your nothing. Let us pray. We have empty hands today, Lord. Come and fill. We know, Lord, that we may be weary and heavy laden. We may be tired and worn out, absolutely frustrated sometimes. We may just feel empty today, Lord, but what an opportunity as we acknowledge that to say, Lord, I'm empty. Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I'm in need. Lord, come and fill and quench and heal and give so that in our nothingness there is something. Forgive us for when we've tried to go and we've wanted to bring a whole bunch of stuff with us, but Lord, you send us out with nothing because it's our nothingness that reminds us that we should depend upon you and your presence and your grace. Forgive us for living out of our own strength and not remembering that your strength is perfected in our weakness. Lord, we know you have something for us or something to match or meet that need which just seems so impossible in front of us. Help us to approach it with nothing. Encourage us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.